0: Because it, they were so isolated, because of the landscape and because of those same factors that, that created all those salamander species, and so I just think it's really cool that those things sort of tie together in a simple place and, and uh, you know, formed formed by the same thing.
1: Appalachia meets world, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Welcome back to Appalachia Meets World. We're here on a special edition. We're with Dr. J.J. Apodaca. He is a conservationist and geneticist and the owner of and founder of Tangle Bank Conservation. He also currently is the director of conservation and science for the Amphibian and Reptile Conservancy. He went to the University of South Florida and got his BS in biology and got his PhD in biology from the University of of Alabama. He has worked to improve wildlife conservation at a local and national level and has worked on numerous conservation projects focused on southeastern amphibians and reptiles, including the red hill salamander, bog turtles, green salamanders, hellbenders, and and several other species of conservation concern. I'm not gonna read all his bio because it's really, really long, really impressive. Bill and I will post it um, to our social media sites and you can check him out or just search for the conservation of science uh, for the amphibian and reptile conservancy uh, where he's the director. And Dr. Apodaca, do you mind, do you mind if I call you JJ? Yeah, no, not
0: at all, please. <laughs> we, we, uh, Nobody calls me doctor. <laughs> <all>. <laughs> <laughs> we,
1: well, we definitely appreciate uh, your time. We're honored and, and uh, uh, appreciate you being part of our, our show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here and, and uh, love sort of what you guys are doing and the, and the idea behind it. And, and uh, yeah, some of your perspectives here. So,
1: Our podcast is really grounded on place and perspective. But with this special uh, episode, a few episodes back, Neil and I were talking about some of our childhood memories. One, one memory that stands out is a festival that we always grew up going to. Um, that was in the Pine Mountain State Park in Pineville, Kentucky, part of the Appalachia. And as part of that festival, Neil and I always went and partook in um, a lot of the festivities, one being going to what they refer to as the Cove in, in the state park there. And as part of that, we would always go. And while our parents were doing other things, we were off in the, in the ponds and the rivers flipping rocks and coming face-to-face with salamanders, we thought it was the most magical thing. And it always took us back. It, it still, to this day, always takes us back to, the, to our childhood. And I was reading, and I mentioned it on the episode, I was reading not too long ago, that there are more salamanders species in Appalachia than anywhere else in the world. And I thought that was the coolest fact that a lot of not, that not a lot of people know about. So that's really why we wanted to have you on the show to talk about a little bit about the salamander, to talk about the work you do and just to educate and inform us a little bit more about the species and how it's important to Appalachia.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I hear that from a lot of people and I think that's, that's amazing that, that, you know, they have such great memories of catching salamanders as kids and, you know, I'm a huge believer and I'm, obviously I'm a conservation biologist, but I'm, I'm such a believer in like, people having the opportunity to experience nature and conservation salamanders are such a great way because there's nothing scary about them right and, and and you get to interact with them like you did firsthand uh, and I think that's just such a, a, a really powerful way to develop a sense of place develop, develop a conservation ethic and uh, just caring about you know your local stream or your you know the place you live sort of thing.
1: There's nothing wrong with your older brother throwing salamanders at you, is there? No, no. (laughs) Just to kick it off, one thing that we ask all our guests, and if you've listened to any of our episodes, you will know that Appalachia is big on tradition. Our family's big on tradition. One of our family traditions over the holidays is we have a huge spread of appetizers. Really, we eat more appetizers than the meal. It's just a big thing <laughs> in our family, and and it kind of has an icebreaker. Do you, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Uh
0: man. Um, uh, Being from Asheville, you can say
1: beer. That's that's
0: fine. Y- yeah. That's I mean that's a that's a definite <laughs> always appetizer. Um, yeah. We do a lot of uh, Mexican style food, and so like a, you know like a, a good guacamole and. Oh. Uh, that kind of dip um
1: nice now that we got that out of the way can you just uh tell us a little bit about your organization kind of what you do how it works what what you're working on
0: sure um yeah like you mentioned you know i'm, I'm kind of part of two organizations or i have one that i started and and then uh also with amphibian and reptile conservancy and amphibian and reptile conservancy is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like right it's uh not a secret in the name. Um, We work to conserve amphibians and reptiles um, in the U S we do that in a number of ways, but uh, we really, our main focus is that is exactly, you know, what we talked about with sense of place and what you guys talk about a lot. We, we focus on uh, our sort of our core strategy is, is focusing on the last best areas for amphibians and reptiles nationwide and and, you know it's something that a lot of people don't think about or or realize is that the diversity and the importance uh the conservation value differs across the landscape right and so uh, we try to focus on those places that have a lot of imperiled species you know threatened endangered species species that we can make a difference on luckily for me because i love living here the southern appalachians is one of those areas and and Really important for uh, a number of amphibians and reptiles, and and the conservation of those.
1: How important or or how significant is the salamander to Appalachia, and and how how has it become so populous for the region, or how has it become you know a global hotspot for salamander biodiversity?
0: How do you measure importance? Is is yeah, always right. a tough question, right? It's it's kind of uh, there's there's several ways to value it, but. Um, I think there's a lot of them. I love one of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, from the great Appalachian author, uh, Barbara Kingsolver. And she, she actually has a couple of salamander quotes, but she says, uh, salamander should be on the flag of Appalachia, which I always love. And, uh, you know, it just, it is, it's kind of, kind of when you think about this habitat and you think about, um, you know, going in coves and, and up and down hollers and creeks and, mountains and whatever, like you see salamanders, you know, pretty much anywhere you go. And, and it's uh, uh, so they're important, right? They're important to the ecosystem there. Uh, and many of our habitats around this area and, and certainly up where you are or, or uh, in Kentucky, where you're from, they're so abundant that they're the most abundant vertebrate in the forest. And if you took the biomass from the salamanders together and biomass is just like the you know the weight of those salamanders there's typically in a in a good healthy appalachian you know hardwood forest there's more ba- biomass in salamanders than there are all the other vertebrates combined so if you take a, an acre of forest or 10 acres of forest and you put the bears in there and the deer white-tailed deer and you know all the birds and snakes and everything and you compiled all that weight and, t- and size there's more salamanders
1: even the tiny salamander will out
0: <laughs> you, yeah there's that many of them and so wow. you know anytime you have something that abundant it's not hard to imagine that without that species without that group the the ecosystem would be in, in real trouble right things your sure. birds wouldn't have things to eat And uh, i always like to think of them as sort of like they're a good bridge between the invertebrate and plant world to, to higher vertebrates, right. To, to, or larger vertebrates, I should say. And, you know, so they, they transfer a lot of that mass from, from insects up, up the chain and a lot of things eat them, a lot of things depend on them. And so, uh, that's really, really important there. And, and, and again, you know, from a societal standpoint, right. There, there's a few ways that we could judge the importance and value of them. I always like to say that, uh, we depend on the ecosystem, right. <laughs> right. Uh, as, as people, we, de- we want clean water. We want healthy forest to go hiking in. Uh, we want timber. We want to hunt Turkey and deer and, uh, have healthy brook trout streams. And so healthy ecosystems depends on, depend on salamanders and other amphibians and reptiles. And and we depend on healthy ecosystems and
1: sure.
0: And then beyond that, you know, there's just the value of, of getting in touch with nature and, and, um,
1: flipping over that rock for the first time and seeing yeah. them face-to-face.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, we were talking a bit about this, I think before we started recording, but as a conservationist, right, there's, there's nothing quite like that experience for for kids or for, for people uh, developing uh, a conservation ethic as they grow up. And there's actually been some cool research on how people become connected the environment and, and you know, sense of place and care about forests and, and healthy streams and that sort of stuff. And the number one way is sort of unstructured exploration outside. And uh, so you know, you can give tours all day long, you can tell people facts, but none of that's gonna have as much of an impact as just going out and exploring and and the reason for that is because when you flip a log and you see a salamander or, or, you know even a brightly colored millipede or something cool it, like that's neat right and i always say for
1: a little kid that, that's like a
0: log, finding a salamander a
1: box. Yeah, yeah
0: yeah and you know i mean like most people i talk to at this remember the first time they caught a box turtle or the first time they found a huge bullfrog or a red <laughs> salamander that blew their mind right? like they didn't think those colors existed we see all these colors on TV for, you know, tropical rainforest, frogs and stuff. And nobody thinks that exists in their backyard and it does every bit of that color and every bit of that, those amazing species is right here in in the local Appalachian trails and streams and, and places you've just got to go look for them.
1: How have the Sal- Salamanders become so populous? Does it date back to a certain time where uh, something happened or mm-hmm. Is it just one of those things that the the climate the the mountains are just a perfect spot for uh, the generation of of salamanders
0: so i mean that's a really interesting question and and really interesting topic and and i think biogeography like that the the history of it all is never a simple answer but in this case it's probably a little bit of a combination of like a historical accident Uh, there just happened to be some species in this region and then, the, you know, probably the driver of it is is really that these mountains are just so old, you know, they're the oldest mountains in the world, depending on how you, how you rank it, some would, would differ a little bit, but nobody can argue that they're among the most, the oldest mountains in the world. And, and they've actually risen and fallen several times, you know, and and so uh, at one point, the Appalachians were higher than, uh, than the Himalayans right now, and and you know and 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 they're also the most uh, among the most rugged mountains in the world and so that kind of topography that's been worn out now it's not as impressive as obviously in height is the the rocky mountains but they're still more rugged and
1: another cool fact and and so that that kind of
0: topography just yeah 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 people don't realize how cool this this region and area is and 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 so that history you know there's rising and falling and uh over millions of years the climate changing and, and finding little pockets and, and, you know, just the, the variation across the landscape has created all these possibilities for what we call speciation or the creation of species. And that happens to, for most salamanders, at least most of the salamanders in the families that are here, uh, they don't disperse very well. You know, they're not like a, a bird that can fly over a mountain peak and <laughs> or whatever. So, right. so you get these little sort of geographic changes and, and, it separates them, and time is is sort of what separates species, and uh, they go on their own trajectory. And even if they come back together after a long period of time, they're not, you know, not going to uh, reform into one species. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah, you know, I think just time and and the age, and then the the geographic and the complexity of the landscape is is created. And, and, and
1: to the, to that point, Appalachian Regional Commission kind of defines Appalachia by You know, 13 states, 420 counties, 24 plus million people. But when you are researching salamanders, or or when you're talking about Appalachia, where exactly are are the majority of the salamander species? Where are they located? Is it central? Is it southern?
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes. You know, they're found all throughout. Um, I would say the highest number is in the southern Appalachians, and I'm a little biased in 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 how far south they go because. Um, species that i get, did my dissertation on is the red hill salamander and they're in, found in the red hills of alabama which is actually is way down there it's it's um, you know coastal plain and and uh, but it's the remnants of the first rising of the of, you know the original appalachian mountains so they're not <laughs> and when you get into the some of those crevices it's amazing you know you you're driving through uh, sandy coastal plains and all of a sudden you drop down a couple hundred feet into these historic, you know, just ancient crevices and ancient uh, valleys. And, 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 you know, if I put you down in some of these areas, you would think you were in a stream in Kentucky or or (laughs) North (laughs) Carolina or something. I mean, they're amazing. You you know, lots of disjunct Appalachian plants and that sort of stuff.
1: So I've heard people reference uh, Appalachia as the salamander capital of the world. Is that something that we should consider Appalachia as? And, and, and should we as a region, should we take pride in that? I mean, that's, I feel like that's a pretty cool thing. Um, should we uh, suggest that we are the salamander capital of the
0: world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. There's one other region in, in um, sort of central America that that probably is close to similar in, in number of species but his like we have more families and more like deeper history sort of um, which is sort of fitting in a way right but yeah I mean I think that's it's really important and uh, you know salamanders about half of them are endangered uh, worldwide or at some level imperiled and and here in Appalachia we have about twenty percent, or a fifth of the world's diversity, and so that's sort of mind blowing when you think yeah, about. And definitely. Um, so yeah, you know, I think I think we should own the Salamander Capital of the World, and um, and just realize that it's not just salamanders. It's it's the Appalachians are a biodiversity hotspot. They're amazing. You know, we rank super high in crayfish and trees and and freshwater fish and mussels and clams and sort of one of my <laughs> pet peeves at all ramble on about is just that how people think of, of, you know, rainforests in South America is this amazing biodiverse place, but, but you know, people living in the, the Appalachians are, are in the same sort of place. You know, we have a, a lot of biodiversity and a lot of really cool habitats right I here, think, back here. I think uh,
1: Neil and I have found our new mascot. Yeah, it definitely, definitely should be a salamander.
0: It should. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I asked you this before, but you're, you are not from originally the Appalachian uh, region, correct?
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was born in New Mexico and grew up for a bit there. And then and uh, when I was a kid, moved to Florida and, and spent a
1: lot of time there. And I'm assuming a lot of your research has been have been inside and outside of, of Appalachia. And so how do you compare the Appalachia region, both living and working, to you know, other, other regions you you've lived, worked in, in regards to, you know, the natural beauty, the habitat, or just cultural aspects or the heritage of the people.
0: I, you know, I absolutely love living in Appalachia. Just telling you, been here now almost 10 years, um, which is approaching as long as I've ever lived anywhere in my life, which is kind of hard to believe. (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, for, for me, for research, Search for living. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, uh, you know, the cultural heritage and history. And, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of those things that I talked about that, that formed all those salamander species, the geographic contours and the, the geologic history and all that it's, it's done the same thing to culture, right? It's one of the ways I like to think about it is the landscape affects our culture affects who we are more than we ever realize right it affects everything it affects our literature and our food and our, our societies and and so you can think about this coming up through 16 17 1800s you had to be these rugged individuals these like sort of isolationists these these people who were uh, dependent on family and and themselves and and you know their small culture and and tied in because it, they were so isolated because of the landscape and because of those same factors that that created all those salamander species and so I, I just think it's really cool that those things sort of tie together a, a sense of place and and uh you know formed formed by the same thing
1: just that intersection is, is is a really cool aspect i think of the salamander and sense of place or the history when i was looking at your bio, looking at your background, I saw that you discovered a new species of salamander, the hickory nut gorge green salamander. Mm -hmm. How rare is it to discover a new species for one? And can you walk us through that? Like when you discovered it, was it just eye-opening or how cool uh, of a discovery was it on your end? I mean, I think that's, that's pretty impressive too. Uh, discover a new species altogether.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not entirely uncommon because we know so little about our our natural world, right? We're still discovering species all the time. They're still discovering species in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, even though it's one of the most studied <laughs> places in the world. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, the the discovery of this species was super exciting for me. I will say that it wasn't, you know, sort of this the what pick, people picture. we we sort of knew that this was a, a species that was found in the area. We discovered that it was genetically very distinct, right? So it wasn't like we found something in a rock that we were like, oh my God, no one's ever seen this before. It was more like, hey, we thought it was this species. We thought it was normal green salamander. We got the genetic evidence. Oh my God, this thing's totally different, right? This thing's very, very distinct and very, very divergent and, and its own its own species. And then once we you know discovered that, we can look at how it the morphology, how it looks, and we can start to say, Oh yeah, this thing is pretty, pretty different looking. But yeah, it was it's uh, really uh, an honor to to work on something like that and and, and was a, yeah, it was a lot amazing. of fun.
1: Through your work, as, as you described, you, you focus on conservation, uh, obviously, and obviously the Appalachia region has, a large part of it ha- has, been, ha- has yeah. been populated by the extractive industries. Uh, I, I didn't know if that's something that historically affected the, the salamander population, or are there, are there other factors that we should be aware of that, that affects the population, or are they endangered? Or is it something that we definitely need to think about?
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, You know, humans in in a lot of ways have obviously shaped our landscapes and and have uh, put a lot of things in danger on the landscape. And I'm not saying that as like sort of an accusing way. It's just uh, uh, we need to do better about about managing those species now because we have changed the landscape so much. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people Tend to point at the timber industry or you know timber harvest and say, well, that's the reason these you know species are going extinct or whatever it is, and and uh, that's not the case. You know, this, this species can live in and uh, or <laughs> if we manage them correctly, you know, this, those things can be in harmony. I think what people don't realize is that probably the the biggest thing that that threatens all things that are that are endangered or, or imperiled is habitat fragmentation. Um, and that's it's just like habitat loss through you know roads going through and through the habitat changing because of the things we do and, and there's all sorts of reasons for that you know like like opening it up putting a road through dries out habitats and it changes the ground soil and like there, there's a million reasons right and also you know when 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 we think about the Appalachians and we think about the history of it, it's easy to point at taking, you know, extracting, whether that's coal mining or, or timber, it's easy to think about the last hundred years, 150 years, but it goes back a lot further than that. Right. Most people don't realize that, that there were tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of beaver taken off the landscape in the East. And so when you would have gone through the Appalachians and the 1400s before European trappers came and, and started wiping out beaver it would have been a vastly different landscape right the Asheville would be nothing but underwater and, and beaver dams and, and like you know there like the the area would have been inundated not completely obviously but like all these valleys would have been much more wetlandish and when you drive through all these mountain valley or now that's where roads and farms are, right? That's where the the production is. Right. And so, so those things have been really eliminating habitat for a long time, and and then there's you know other habitat types that have also been impacted that we don't we don't think about like uh, high elevation spruce and fir. We pretty much wiped out all of our of our spruce for World War One. Uh, to To make our, you know, the fighter planes. So like basically our, our natural resources at the time, that was the wood that was needed to make those planes. And, and, uh, you know, those natural resources saved us, right? <laughs> Helped us win a war. You know, we haven't done the work to sort of restore them and, and to put them back to what they should be and what they need to be for the species that inhabit them.
1: What can we do as a region to help help out in the conservation or not necessarily maybe on a day-to-day basis, but what, you know, what can we do to help the population to thrive? Mm-hmm. Is there more education that needs to be done across the region in regards to protection of the salamanders or is there something specific that we can do?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the problems is that people feel helpless with this, right? It's a bigger problem. It's, it's sort of like climate change and, and a lot of people you know, sort of push that to the back of their mind, even if they believe in it, because it's, they feel powerless, right? But wildlife conservation is something you can do something about. Uh, it's, and it's for salamanders, it's keeping streams clean, you know, working on pollution problems locally, being aware and, and putting your voice out there. Most people don't know that, you know, that most of our best salamander populations are on public lands or on forests. Uh, you know, national forests, state forests, whatever. And any of the management actions that happen on those national forests or state forests have periods where there's comments open to the public. You know, you can get out there and you can make your voice known that you value wildlife, you value salamanders in the creeks, uh, you know, and and, uh, make sure that they take those things into account. Then just being aware of what actions... Uh, impact local ecosystems you know one one that I think a lot about we, we work a lot in bog turtles as well Is just draining ditches you know there's a lot of farmers dig new drainage ditches for for bogs and wetlands and stuff uh, because that's what we know that's what we're you know <laughs> that's just like traditionally historically it's what we know they don't know that there's an imperiled or endangered turtles in there and uh, so being open to not extracting a hundred dollars worth of hay from that field every year or something like that you know these are small changes that make a a big difference
1: yeah one question i want to ask so i've heard the term sky islands on occasion Mm -hmm. when they're talking about the appalachian mountain range can you just tell us what that means i I, i think i kind of have an idea what the sky island refers to but can you just mention that and how um majestic it is in the Appalachian mountain range?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Sky Islands is, is pretty much exactly what it, what it sounds like. It's it's islands of, of high elevation habitat that are essentially islands because the species that uh, occur on them can't persist below a certain elevation. And, and, and so they're, you know, they're not surrounded by water, obviously, they're surrounded by uh, inhospitable habitat. You know, so we have a A lot of really cool sky islands in the Appalachians of different types. One that I work a good amount in is uh, high elevation spruce fir. Um, Actually there's a a salamander in that called the pygmy salamander that's, you know, stuck on these sky islands. And and obviously it's a, it's only a couple inches long. (laughs) It's not going to hop over or fly to uh, an island. That's a, you know, fifty miles away or a couple hundred miles away, and uh, but right, we right. also work on things like Appalachian cottontails that are found in these high elevation. As far as like how majestic they are, yeah, you, you know, I encourage everybody to go check out some of these these areas. Roan Mountain is one that's incredible. You know, you get up there, it's it's a different world. Mount Mitchell, uh, you know, you get to the highest point east of the Mississippi, and it's breathtakingly beautiful, even even when you're not overlooking the mountains when you're just in the high elevation spruce up there. It's it's uh and
1: there are different species depending on which sky island you're you're on. Is that is that correct? Yeah you're right in saying that that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, one thing I, I would like to do if you're open to it is have just a, a lightning round of, of some questions. I'll ask Neil to put like five minutes on the clock and, and I have a bunch of questions that we can run down, just simple answers. If you want to say yes or no, that's fine.
0: Sure, as long as you edit out uh, all my mistakes.
1: And- <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Neil wants to start the clock, first question, so what's your favorite salamander? Hmm. Uh, I
0: have to be a tie with the green salamander hickory nut gorge green the one uh we talked about and, and the red hill salamander
1: cool uh do you have a least favorite salamander no mm. no nope. Nope. <laughs> oh, you love them all right love them all yeah yeah so i've heard both terms used are are salamanders considered lizards
0: no no uh li- lizards are reptiles um salamanders are amphibians Newts are a type of salamander, uh, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, kind of like a toad is a frog. So,
1: gotcha. Cool. We we spoke about Sky Islands. What's your favorite mountaintop for catching salamanders?
0: Hmm. I love uh, some of the ones in the Nantahala National Forest, like Standing Indian, and uh, that's a really special place. And uh, the Black Balsam Mountain Range uh, near me here in Asheville is, is pretty amazing as well.
1: Uh, I think one of the coolest things about salamanders regeneration. Do all salamanders regenerate?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All of them can regrow a tail and you know certain limbs and and that sort of
1: stuff. I guess a two part question. What's the best way to catch a salamander? Gloves or no gloves? And also, are all are salamanders poisonous?
0: So. It helps, you know, if you wear gloves, it helps protect the salamander from, from oils and things you might have on your, on your skin. Um, But no, uh, not all of them are poisonous. Um, There are some poisonous like newts, um, like the Eastern newt we'd see around here. If you ate it, you might be in a, in a world of pain. Uh, Some of the newts out West in California and, and, uh, you know, Oregon and stuff. If you ate those, you, you, it would kill you. Um, and some of the other newts worldwide, it would kill you, but, um, but you can handle them, you know, there's nothing, that's not gonna, it's not gonna rub off on your, on your skin. and yeah, that's, kill you that,
1: that's good to know. I don't plan on eat, eating any uh, salamanders, but that's definitely good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just don't eat them and you're safe. Uh,
1: so to that point, what do salamanders eat and how often do they eat?
0: Um, yeah, they, you know, small, uh, it depends on the salamander, obviously mostly, uh, most of the terrestrial or small streams is small insects, that sort of thing. You know, things like hellbenders, really large salamanders, mud puppies. Um, they will eat small fish and, and crayfish. Uh, hellbenders love crayfish. That's sort of their, their favorite meal. But
1: yeah. What is the biggest salamander uh, in size that you have ever found? And in, just in general, what's the largest uh, salamander? How, how big can they get?
0: Um, yeah, so the, the largest salamander is, um, are some of the, what we call giant salamanders, um, which are relative to the hellbender, which is found here in Appalachia and there, um, there's a Chinese species and a Japanese species and uh, I want to say that the Chinese species is a little, little bit larger gets to be about six feet long. And pretty healthy so that's a that's a very large salamander <laughs> um, yeah. the largest one I've ever found is you know hellbenders are our largest species in the United States I've found some pretty healthy good you know adults above a little bit longer than two feet Whoa. Um, pretty chunky yeah
1: right there in in, in the Asheville area
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: okay I'm getting away from the clock here what what is the uh, best source for salamander information or salamander education where can we go
0: yeah um that you know it just depends on what you're trying to <laughs> to learn um uh, park uh p-a-r-c partners in amphibian reptile conservation has some really good educational materials and and um as does um, ARC, amphibian reptile conservancy which we talked about earlier we have a, a salamander campaign we don't have a whole lot of educational resources up uh, but that's one of them Uh, and then other than that, you know, almost every state has like a, uh, a website dedicated to the amphibians and reptiles of the state that you can learn at. Like we have a, uh, herps, H-E-R-P-S of nc.org, I believe here in North Carolina, you can, you can learn about the salamanders here and, uh, there's lots of other really
1: great sites, but, um, those are some that come to mind. I'm running out of time here, but what's the longest, uh, just on a personal level, what's the longest expedition or research trip that you've been on?
0: Ooh, a um, couple weeks, I guess, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
1: I am out of time, but I want to ask you a couple local questions, just because you are in the Asheville re- region. So, what's oh. your favorite Asheville restaurant? Oh,
0: um, God, there's so so many. Yeah, I know, right? Good ones. Uh, our, our recent favorite is a place called All Day Darling, Table, uh, Nine Mile. Yeah, there's some, there's there's a lot- Karate,
1: have there. you ever been?
0: Yeah, Karate is amazing. Yeah, it's really- uh, you know, we don't go there very frequently. It's <laughs> 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 tough to get into these days. Uh,
1: what is your favorite Asheville brewery?
0: Again, that's a, that's a tough one because there's so many. Um, i'd say the one we go to the most is is highlands um just sort of the you know the the grandfather one in here and That's it's very cool it's kind of close to us and, and i love the staff and the their small batch stuff and and, and all that but um yeah other than that i love uh, burial and dissolver and uh, zillico are probably my my current favorite batch
1: yeah i think you just answered my next question what's your favorite local ashville beer um but what's your favorite beer in general?
0: I try to drink local as much as possible. Yeah. Um,
1: Why not when you're in Nashville, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's pretty easy when we have 40 or 50 breweries Yeah, right,
1: right around here. Great. I think uh, I, I went over the five, five, five minute limit, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do that. I, I think uh, there's a lot of interesting answers in there that we're, we're not going to dive into, but, it just, just to give, uh, you know, the listeners just a general sense of the salamander and how neat it is and how much more we could learn about it. Uh, one thing that we always ask our guests as well, kind of uh, ending question, you, you mentioned you weren't, you, you are not from the Appalachia region, but that you've lived there longer than anywhere else. Where do you consider uh, home? And, and why is it home to you? What makes it unique? What what um, gives you that sense of home, that sense of place?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, um, we've been here longer now than just about anywhere in my life, so I, I consider Asheville home. Um, and part of that was was growing up in Florida. That's you know, it's, uh, not many people want to claim Florida as home. <laughs> uh, we love parts of Florida, but but yeah, you know for me, it's just, there's so many things around. There's like, you know, we were talking before, uh, the hiking, the, the fishing, the um, just being in this area. I love sort of the variety of habitats that, that I can get into just so quickly. And, and, um,
1: I imagine you, you have a strong sense of community in, in Asheville.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, I think um, now that Asheville is sort of blowing up people think it's it's uh, a really large city but it's it's really a, a pretty small city it's you know 80 something thousand people a lot of tourists come in but but it's a, a small city and we have a great local community local restaurants and and uh, and you know for me the conservation scene is is really strong here there's a lot of great nonprofits Doing a lot of great things and, and uh, you know, not just in conservation, but across the board. There's, uh, it's just a, a really forward think- thinking, uh,
1: welcoming community here that, that I really appreciate and, and, uh, and love. I just think this has been a really neat and informative uh, episode that uh, more Appalachians should know about something that we can claim uh like our heritage uh it's just something cool to know that everyone should know
0: yeah yeah i I I mean go ahead well i just say i totally agree you know that the as southerners in general like i don't understand why more people don't uh latch on to like sort of our natural history and natural heritage is is part of something we're really proud of it's It's an amazing place and something, you know, as I said, that that's created our culture and and uh, and, you know, sort of everything about (laughs) who we are and 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 what we are.
1: I'll give you, you know, your 32nd minute pitch. Is there anything that I left out, anything you'd like to tell the listeners uh, about the work you do or or just uh, something else that they should know or or, uh, just inform them on?
0: um i mean i think we we covered a lot you know just uh, again i think people should be really proud and and uh excited by what's in our backyard and and all across uh, appalachia and the southeast and in general there's so much really great really cool diversity here um you know, that that you should get out and explore and, and you
1: know if anyone has any questions, can they reach out to your organization? Or yeah. They...
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can uh you guys can post my email or, or uh anything like that. And yeah, feel free to reach out with wish with questions or comments or whatever.
1: Thank thank you so much for the time. Like I said, this has been a really cool episode, at least for me. <laughs> cool, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, thank you for, you know. Being interested in it. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. And for all you guys are doing. Facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains again